Welcome to the fourth episode of Africa Unveiled, the podcast. Today we'll be changing things up a little bit, and instead of looking at a report, I'll be interviewing one of my good friends, Ari, who is the director of MIT Africa. Now, whenever Ari and I talk, it's always super fun and super insightful, and so I'm super excited to share it with you guys today. Now, Ari's Wi-Fi isn't the best, so some of the portions of this episode might be a little choppy, but I urge you to stay with us because it's a very insightful conversation, and I'm sure you'll learn a ton. Let's get to it. And so you, uh, you, you are a recent graduate of MIT. Um, uh, your what course were you? Were you course fifteen? Double major, course fifteen and seventeen. Okay, so that's man for for the non MIT speaker. <laughs> that's management and political science. Okay, great. Um, yeah. And and I know that you were also uh, president of student council. I was. Um, and and. Uh, you know, do you think maybe, you know, in that role, you have a sort of a particular uh, sharp or keen interest on understanding sort of where the, where people are and how they think um, is if, you, if you're, if you're being elected to represent them, it's sort of a, a very useful uh, yeah. thing to pay attention to. No, totally. When you're in one of those leadership positions, you're so constantly thinking about how can I better understand somebody else to make their experience better, which is honestly just not something that we generally have to think about a lot in a lot of situations and especially at MIT where we're all doing so many cool things and really head down and focused in our projects and our research and just things that we're doing it was definitely a very unique experience having to think constantly about how can I make the experiences better for you know a couple hundred to a thousand people and I think that also is what led me to continue going down that path in market research and things like that, going back to the continent, so. Yeah. All right, well, I think I'll, we can we can wrap up there. So thanks, yeah. thanks for, for my portion. I mean, I, you know, I always felt that uh, these sort of, this sort of market research, market serving is so interesting in Africa because I, after I when I when I when I was in Peace Corps in Kenya I just kept and afterwards kept thinking to myself there's like there's a real opportunity here to really just understand like I just felt there was there was an information asymmetry like that is that what you know whatever people the people who uh were were interested in investing and the people that were interested in buying in Africa were sort of like didn't have these interesting didn't have these uh, platforms to communicate clearly to each yep. other, yep. Uh, and so they didn't know how he, how they thought about one another. Yeah, um, and there are some interesting companies that do that. Obviously, you work for one of them. There's um, M Survey or M Survey, which now has evolved into um, what are they called? They changed. Oh, Godem fellow. Um, <laughs> um, anyway, well. Anyway, but anyway, let's, we'll, we'll just stop there. So uh, we'll, we'll cut it out. So anyway, thanks for thanks for joining and for being a part uh, of this podcast and sharing more about what uh, you're doing with Africa Unveiled and for just being a, a great MIT Africa program participant. Cool. And I, that, thank you for that. And I guess I would love to ask you a couple questions. Please, yeah. Intellectual curiosity. So first of all, just 
if you could talk about your career path up to this point, you know, I think that would just be super interesting. Somebody who started off in one place and now is doing a lot for the continent and promoting that. So just talk about your route up to this point. Yeah, sure. I mean, so it's sort of been kind of a windy road. Um, I, when I was in college, I was studying journalism and music. And I always had a passion for music and I still do. And, and, and that I'll, I'll come back to that sort of motif in a bit. But I had some friends that studied abroad in college and I was like, that sounds kind of interesting. Like, I feel like I should do that, right? Without, the, without sort of any precondition of where I should go or what I should be doing or anything like that. <clears throat> you know, I had a lot of friends that went to Europe, right? Prague, those are yeah, yeah. big abroad destination you know uh study abroad is big at most schools it's not that big at mit but at most other schools in the world it is like a very popular thing i'm sure you have friends at other schools that have done it for sure for sure um so i went to our study abroad office and uh i was like okay uh, i'm gonna be a senior next year so like what are my options and my options at the time were uh in london a school in london um, which I don't even remember what that school is now. I guess I didn't go there. There was a school in Australia, in Sydney, I think, mm -hmm. I, that um, I obviously didn't go to either. <laughs> and then there was um, University of Cape Town. Okay. And um, both, you know, all three of those schools I was able to do because they're English speaking. And because I was a senior, I had to like knock out a few key class requirements. I needed to go to a school that had sort of a broad curriculum that I could just uh, take any class. For sure. Um, and so I was able to do that at University of Cape Town. And in general, I was just like, that sounds interesting. So it's like on a whim. And it's funny to like look back and reflect on your life on these sort of decisions that you make on a whim that greatly uh, alter your trajectory. Uh, of course, really? at the time, you don't know that. <laughs> so, I, I went to the University of Cape Town and I spent a semester there in 2005. Um, and I mean that, you know, it was just like such an eye-opening sort of mind-blowing opportunity. I had really known nothing about Africa, yeah. a little bit about South Africa, you know, everyone heard of Nelson Mandela and whatever. Yeah, yeah of course, of course. Um, but I was just sort of like going in without any sort of preconceived notion or anything like that, which I think was helpful. Um, but let me let me let me stop you there. So yeah, you say no preconceived notions, but what what were your preconceived notions, right? Like you definitely okay. have some idea of <laughs> what you might be expecting. So let me let me reframe that. Let me reframe that. No no formal yeah, yeah. Um, um, sort of education on totally. Right? totally. And in fact, my school was like hesitant to let me go in the first place why like you're not like why are you doing this like this doesn't make sense plus it was not there was nobody else from my school going it was kind of like you know certainly had preconceived notions about wanting to uh help african people and all that sort of thing totally right? totally that, you know that uh that and that is something that that evolved right i think that i'll, I'll come back to that but mm -hmm. I so I so I went and I you know I took all these classes. I think one of the classes that I gained the most from was a basically a class on colonial African history. For sure. 
it, I, I had just known, I had like known nothing, right? I knew nothing about this, like going into my school and teach it in America. It's really not taught very much. Um, you don't learn about African history, the way in which Africa and the rest of the world are linked. I mean, you don't, you don't, you don't, you don't talk about this. And I think that to me was just like so eye-opening and I, I like wanted more. I was like, so how, how is it that I've like lived this long and have never heard any of this stuff? Uh, sure. um, meanwhile, you know, we have whole, uh, you know, this is a frequent criticism. We have whole um, semesters in high school and in middle school on you know, European history, certainly many of it in American history. Um, and, you know, I think I, we maybe had like a few weeks we talked about like Maasai warriors in eighth grade or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but that, you know, and of course we talked about the transatlantic slave trade, but we yeah. didn't talk about it before, you know, we didn't, but, but, but that was it. It was like African history was uh, the, uh, the pyramids, uh, was uh, the uh, origins of humanity, you know, like yeah. <laughs> the bones of Lucy. Yeah. <laughs> was the, the, the transatlantic slave trade. So that's, that's what I teach. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm sure maybe that was your experience too. It's like, well, totally. who's here? But you don't think about it at the time. Like maybe as, as a non African person, you don't, I mean, I didn't think about it. I just said, this is just what I'm being taught, mm -hmm. you know, and, and nobody's telling you otherwise, right? Mm -hmm. If you have certain cultural connections, somebody is telling you otherwise. Um, and so I, so, so that's sort of where it began, right? And, and when I was there, I, I got involved in a lot of things and I was like living in a dorm with other South African students. Um, so in terms of like building, integrating and just like meeting people, I think was very valuable. Totally. Um, we, <laughs> we volunteered at like, I guess an orphanage or children's home like twice uh twice uh twice a week we went into like this outside of Cape Town called Kailicha um where we basically hung out with kids uh and you know we thought we were like saints of the universe for doing <laughs> but like all you know we were just hanging out with kids like we weren't doing anything, you know and uh sure, sure. But it, you know it was it was it was interesting exposure to those things and I think uh you know, I don't think pro a lot of these kinds of programs um, that try to expose Americans or other s students to uh, uh, Africa in a meaningful way had really, at that point, had thought so much about how they should be spending their time, what they should be doing, the narrative that should be that that should go alongside the 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 um, the work that they're doing outside of the classroom. For sure. But the time inside the classroom was, I think, very valuable too. So uh, let me fast forward. With, so I, I'm so getting off track, but I mean, that was like a, a key experience, right? That's where it began. <clears throat> and then uh, I finished college and then I ended up uh, going to the Peace Corps a few years later. So I was in the Peace Corps in Kenya. Um, and, you know, of course that was like, uh, in terms of, uh, getting exposure to Africa, there's probably no better way to do that. So I was living in sort of a, um, a, a rural kind of like fishing village along the Kenyan coast mm -hmm. um, and a little community there for, for a bit over two years. Um, so that obviously was extremely influential. And then following that, I um, 
spent two years working with the U.S. refugee program in Africa. So that is like a lot of a lot of um, uh, refugees that sort of coming through a special State Department program where they could be resettled to the U.S. Mm-hmm. Um, were uh, so I was working on that program in Africa. So I was based in Nairobi, but I was traveling uh, every other month to different parts of the continent. And that was just like really, and that, that was just like really, really good exposure to just like everything. So the full range of, of the continent and sort of the lived experiences of people. Um, sure. You know, so I went to different cities, different countries. I worked in refugee camps. And my, my primary work was actually uh, sitting with uh, refugees applying to come to the U.S. and right mm-hmm. there, there were basically what we called at the time persecution histories. That was like the history of why they are refugee, what happened to them in their home country, and why they think they should come to like sort of like why they should be admitted into the U.S. It's sort of like their U.S. admissions essay. So I was working on it with them. Wait, so that's that's super interesting. So how exactly were you helping them put together these, I guess, applications to? Yeah. So. So the State Department hires or basically contracts with different NGOs around the world. Okay. Prepare cases of, of uh, refugees that are getting referred for resettlement. Mm-hmm. So the, the largest referring agency is uh, the UNHCR, like uh, High Commissioner for Refugees at the UN. And they uh, have a huge, you know, bank of people that they're that they're trying to get resettled for and, sure. uh, they'll refer the sort of the based on what they how they interpret u.s law they'll refer sort of the highest likely uh, recipients of resettlement mm-hmm. to to us and then we prepare those cases as a sort of a contractor and then we give them to the immigration officers in the u.s so we sort of sit in between uh, the referring agency and the decision makers in the U.S. and we work with them, get them, get the paperwork filled, and uh, also collect their histories. Hmm. So, so that's what I did. So I, I, I worked primarily on collecting those histories, um, sitting in between those two, those two agencies. So, um, I mean, I did, you know, we're we're beholden to like the rules of the State Department, but there is advocacy that you can do. For the people, right? By make by working with them and uh, you know making sure that you're crafting their narrative in, in a way that is true to their experience. Um, and so, you know, I had written thousands of these, right, when I was traveling in the field. And you and you um, you learn about uh, some of Africa's conflicts from the people that live through them, you know, directly. Yeah. So that, I mean, that was like really interesting and just super informative aside, you know, the fact that you're like traveling all to all these different places and, you know, every other, every other month I was in a different country um, or different place. And sometimes we go back to multiple places. So it was just extremely informative um, as I moved around. Um, Then I worked for that program on the consulting side in the U.S. for a bit. Yeah. There's a, there's a system that was created along the, this uh, 
the, the, the system of like the interviews and the case collection, sort of like a data, a data management pipeline, a case, case data management. So I worked on that side as an analyst okay. uh, that also the security screening process. So essentially um, that was a, effectively a software company that I worked with that managed the whole data pipeline process for the, so sort of this interesting mix of, you know, uh, sort of like a digital humanitarian kind of thing. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, and <clears throat> then I, I went, to, went to grad school, I studied business and economics and uh, interned a bit at an e-commerce company in, in Tanzania. Yeah. Um, and then came to MIT to run this program. So that's a bit of my history. I sort of, I, I spent a lot of time in the beginning there to sort of describe trying to set it up. Um, but you know, what, what motivated me all those years ago and what motivated me in sort of past years mm-hmm. has, has always has evolved and changed. And my perspective on this has changed and from to what it is now, right? Which is yep. quite a bit different from uh, what it used to be, certainly when I was an undergraduate student. Mm-hmm. And I guess my, my next question is, does it ever feel somewhat, I don't know if weird is the right word, but just doing so much regarding Africa, not being African, like, it, is that something you think about a lot? Is it? Oh, yeah, all the time. Okay. <laughs> I mean, it's, uh, I, it's like, uh, <clears throat> I don't think you can approach the, uh, you can approach it as a non-African person with without being self-conscious in some way. I mean, it's something I'm constantly aware of. And I'm trying to, I'm trying to sort of, (laughs) you know, I always think in my, I'm all, I'm often in my own head about it. Like, should I do it like this or like this? What would be the, you know, like, and I think one of the challenges of running um, a continental scale program is that whoever is gonna do it, there are gonna be, cultural decisions that they're going to have to make that are probably outside of their comfort zone. Like, you know, if you are, for example, running it as a Nigerian heritage student, you have to, uh, and you know, we have to, we do a lot in South Africa, right? And so you have to sort of figure out what works there, what makes sense, how to approach it. Totally. different, right? So so, uh, I think regardless of who's doing it, it's a challenge. I think it's just a particular challenge to uh, someone who has no connection um, and has to be very sort of conscious about how they approach different aspects of the program. Um, so it's not that I necessarily feel uncomfortable because, I, but I, it's something that I am aware of all the time. <laughs> um, and have, have ways of mitigating it that uh, I think have gone pretty good at, you know, but but certainly there's always, you know, room for improvement. I mean, especially against the backdrop of conversations that are sort of on these greater um, issues of, you know, um, equity and Black yeah. uh, Lives Matter and, you know, anything related to that. Um, so. So I guess on that point, right? Yes. So what are some of the ways that you continue to learn, right? Like you obviously acknowledge that you're not African, you don't have that, you know, perspective, but you obviously care about this a lot and are open-minded. So how do you continue to learn about the issues and position yourself in a way where you can provide the best for MIT in this regard? Mm-hmm. Well, I, um, I always ask a lot of questions, Yeah. right? I ask people what they think about things, right? Like, um, 
And, and you know, there, there's a group of, for example, on campus now that I think is an incredible resource. And uh, they don't maybe don't even perhaps realize how much of a resource they are, but they will. And that is the Africa Learning Circle, which is which was developed out, out of the African Student Association. Um, oh. IT. And uh, that's like a great place to just sort of bounce ideas. Hey, what do you think about this, right? And how, how would you, how, you know, so, so things like that. And that is mostly a, a group of um, African or African heritage students. Um, mm -hmm. I, you know, that's just one example, but you know, on the partner side, because we have a lot of partners that we work with, I always ask them, what is helpful to you? Like you guys are on the ground, you're dealing with these things every day, you know, what is helpful to you? Um, and I guess, you know, in my role, I see myself, I sort of have, 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 I lead into this role of an educator, but I um, don't do the teaching myself, right? So I, I am more of sort of a facilitator to bring in sort of all these different people to make sure that these voices are represented at the table, right? Mm -hmm. You know, if, if we have in our, in our, in our, in our trainings and some of the events that we have, um, I, I'm very, I'm very conscious of that too. And the other thing is, um, I, I think about it in ways that are more my own experience. And so what do I mean by that? So I'll come back to this theme of music. So I, I feel that as Americans, we have a, um, a shared African heritage that is not properly acknowledged. And I mean, I, you know, the, the Nicole Hannah Jones with the, you know, 1619 project, I think, I think touches on that. But one of the ways that I uh, think about it a lot is um, in, in terms of music, because that is something that I know well. But, you know, so, so I have a, a question for you. Have you ever heard of Congo Square? Do you know I don't think so, no. Okay. So Congo Square is probably one of the most important cultural sites in America, and it's named after Congo, you know, it's Congo Square, it's clearly African lake name. So Congo Square is a place in Louisiana, New Orleans, that, I mean, in many ways can be essentially traced back to the birth of American music, American popular music, and therefore like global popular music. Oh, wow. And so, you know, what it is, it was a place where during, uh, during the slavery era, on Sundays, enslaved people are allowed to, to gather there and basically play traditional African songs of their heritage, right? And then uh, what happened there was that other people started seeing it as they sort of gathered in front of all these people and other and, and, uh, and new instrumentation get, began to be introduced with horns and strings and all that sort of like these instrumentations from other parts of the world and so, you know, what, 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 what American music often is, and sort of like global popular music is sort of, sort of African rhythms and, and structures with European instruments. <laughs> so like the, the, the foundation, the backdrop is this, right? And, and so that, and even like, you know, you go, I've been to Congress Square in New Orleans, I think when I, I was there for a wedding 
some years ago. I was like very intent on going. And even there, it's like not really a celebrated place. Like it's just like, yeah, this is Congo Square. But it's, you know, just outside the French Quarter, which is like gets all the traffic. Um, and I and I and I just think it's a it's a just like a perfect metaphor for like the the ways in which we have this shared African past, shared no. cultural heritage, but doesn't uh, but doesn't manifest itself and is not is not recognized in that way, um, and uh, and and so as an so as an American like I see that mm-hmm. an American who has these experiences I see that and you really reflect on that and uh, I feel that. Uh, we as Americans need to do better in acknowledging this this part of a history. Um, obviously, it's going to mean more for some people than others. Right? Mm-hmm. People have more direct cultural links, certainly more direct ethnic and uh, familial links. Yeah. I think we all have that link. Um, and I want it to be recognized in the way that we recognize our other shared cultural heritage links and not <laughs> because it's, there and it's, it's ever present but nobody wants to acknowledge or talk about it. uh and and so that you know uh that's that's sort of what um one of the things that motivates me are you familiar with the 1619 project i don't think so what is that so um basically it reframes um the founding of america around the year 1619, first group of enslaved Africans landed on the shores of the East Coast. For sure. And basically saying that um, this was when sort of the seed of American values and ideas was actually planted uh, Mm -hmm. long before this constitution was written and things like that. And and, and in fact, it's a whole podcast. So I would would definitely (laughs) check it out. But like, you know, the, the person who who came up with this way of looking at it, Nicole Hannah-Jones's, uh, I saw her speak um, at Harvard's uh, some months back. Mm-hmm. Incredibly compelling. And, and lately she's come under scrutiny, oh, you're rewriting history and all this, like, you know, that's not, you know, we, we had our founding fathers and all, you know, all this stuff. And of course, like, no one is gonna deny the, sort of the conventional history and the way it's told, but I think it's important to acknowledge this other side of history that's not told as often yeah. to, to look about it, to look at it from that perspective. Um, quick, quick question on that though. Yeah. So talk about this need to acknowledge that history, but who do you think is going to do it? Because obviously it's not happening in the school systems. A lot of the narratives that are going around about history are not on these topics. So, you know, who is really going to do that if it's going to happen, you know? Right, and then this is something I worry about. And in fact, um, I always feel that um, even at MIT, like I end up working with a very self-selecting group of students who, who from the get-go, we know have some sort of interest in Africa and care. Starting at a very different point, right? And so, I mean, <laughs> the answer to that question is, I guess us, like yeah. we will because uh, you know, we are an educational program and people and, you know, there are people who participate in these Africa programs that then later graduate and, you know, 
in no direct way is like, are they working in Africa or doing something like that um, yeah. connected to Africa, but they carry that experience with them. And so I guess that is my hope is that the people that participate carry these, these feelings. And we sort, of, we sort of try to instill that way of thinking when they, before they part, participate, as they participate and sort of as they go out into the world. Right. Um, you know, but I, but, I, but I think there's a structural element to it, right? And I think there, there is a, some aspect of the way our curriculum is designed. And in fact, 1619, to give you an idea, is uh, has developed curricula for schools to teach in schools. Oh wow! And that itself has become a huge controversial touch point again around this, like why are you rewriting history? And you know, people compare it to, um, you know, sort of this like fascistic way of, yeah. <laughs> of rewriting history. And yeah, it's like, well, it's not right. Anyway, we you know people you can argue about that all you want, but um, yeah. in terms. Answering your question, like I think there has to be this sort of overall structures and, and recognitions, and the, and it's part of a system where, you know, just all these aspects are sort of tied together. Black Lives Matter, greater push towards equity, um, and so a connection to Africa, I think, uh, and a rec better better recognition of Africa's contributions to the world, I think, is all part of that. Um, and you know, especially <laughs> teaching African history. I mean, I think that. I, I often wonder if if African history was taught like mm -hmm. about like you know the real African history like the pre-colonial African history for like sure, for sure. the the kingdoms and that and, like these were the have people traded and these people didn't get like whatever like the way you the way you learn about um, other history in other regions like, I often wonder if people learn that from an early age in their in their history classes what effect that would have on on how Americans view Africa, how they view Black people in general. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. We, it's an interesting study to be done. <laughs> it would be a great study. And I think those are the earliest influencers of our perceptions on everything in life. You know, we go yeah. to school and we read and study up on what we're told is right and what we're told is what is important. And so if we're never being told about the success stories that have happened on the continent, you know, the the business empires, people trading, like a lot of really good stuff just never is told. And so you almost can't blame people for not really perceiving that side of Africa and not really fully understanding it just because it's not really ingrained in our educational system. So that's a great point. Right. And, I, and I think, you know, it really needs to be. And I, and I, am, I think I am hopeful that there, you know, there it's certainly we're far away from it happening to the extent that we probably shouldn't think it should happen, but there certainly has been, has been progress made. And, you know, and even just like within MIT, you know, like this, this program began uh, some years back. They sent, I think in 2014, they sent two students to South Africa, just two. And then in 2019, we had 107, right? And so I, you know, I, I, I don't know how that can, if you can extrapolate on any greater trends happening in the world, but uh, stands the reason that there is something happening. And, and, and I've seen it too, people that just like approach me and say, I wanna do these programs because I didn't learn anything about this. Yeah. 
And so, and, and somehow, you know, it does rest on people to sort of have the awareness to do it themselves. Um, but you can't really rely on it, people doing that, honestly. You never rely on that. <laughs> yeah. uh, and I guess that's, that's a great transition into my last question. And this is kind of broader looking, but I just want to ask you, you know, as somebody who's worked on the continent in a bunch of different jobs and now is at MIT helping MIT students go to Africa and work there and contribute, et cetera, if I were to tell you to like just give a pitch to you know young professionals, old professionals, just anybody that might be considering doing something in Africa, you know why Africa, and then kind of the how Africa, like what is the best way to contribute, get involved, etc. Yeah, I mean, I think I would start. You know, I, if I was doing a a pitch, I would probably ask them what they had learned about Africa in the past. And chances are they're going to say, oh, sort of the things we talked about. They're, they're not going to have much to say. <laughs> and, and that's, and I'll probably, and I'll build my sort of pitch around that. You know, it's like, well, um, in, in many ways, my pitch is go to Africa and because uh, you haven't learned anything about it. Yeah. Uh, you, you know, do it because you haven't. Um, and you know, I don't know if you're going to go and do this in the future. A lot of students will say to me, oh, like, now's a good time for me to do it because, you know, yeah, like my work could send me to Berlin or they could send me to Beijing in the future. Like, but um, I, I don't know if it's going to be if, if Africa. So, you know, take advantage of the opportunity that you have now to do it. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, that that's that's a big aspect of it. And and I, I, you know, as, as somebody who works in, in education, I, you know, I definitely take the education angle on it. Totally. Just, which is like, you know, learn about it because you haven't learned anything about it. And this is a place where, um, as Yost Bonson always says, if you know Yost Bonson, one fifth of humanity lives there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is one fifth of humanity and the origin of it. Yeah. Uh, how could you not know anything? you know, nearly 20% of our pop US population has African heritage. Yeah. You do not know about it. All these cultural touch points in our country has have African heritage. How could you not know? I mean, this is like, this is basic. It's like, how, how you're missing this part. And this is like something that you really should be knowing about. I don't understand it. You know, I think I would probably frame it like that. Like, how could you possibly not know about this? <laughs> no, it's a good um, point. It's like, you know, we have what, 54, 55 countries. Like, can you name a, can you name like four of them? Can you name any capitals? Yeah. Like, you know, you could probably do that for Europe, for South America. How could you not know about this? Yeah. It's where over a billion people live. Where, where have you been? Um, I mean, that's, I don't know how effective that is as a pitch, but it's sort of how I, how I often feel <laughs> about it related to one of the things where um, what what we were talking about before? Uh, yeah, no, uh, I think that's that's really insightful. Honestly. Yeah. How um, and you know, in terms of ways to get involved, you know what you know. One of the things that I but that I am, am particularly intent about is that you know, in terms of Misty, like 
this is not a development program, an international mm-hmm. development program, which, you know, it seems like anything you do in Africa, like should be or must be or like that. No. Yeah. <laughs> no, I know what you mean. You know, know, you know what I mean? Like, and that's how it manifests itself in a lot of other schools and a lot of other places. And so Africa, you know, equals development program, right? In, in one a destructive mentality, I think. Right. Yeah. And, that, and that's not what we are, right? Yeah. And this is one of the reasons I love being a part of MISTI is because, you know, we are doing the same things that our colleagues in like Germany and China and Peru are doing, right? It's like, we're working really great and you know, really great high-tech companies, uh, organizations, research labs. So we're doing all those same things that we're doing in all those places. We're just them in Africa because why not? Because we're the Africa program for MISTI and that is what MISTI does. Yep. Um, and uh, and I will say this, that to, to get involved in Africa, you don't need to do a development program, <laughs> right? That's true. I mean, you could go as a tourist, that's fine. I think people poo-poo that, but like you, if, if you're working some, if you have your life and you only have, you could go as a tourist, a cultural tourist, uh, you know, you could the nature tourism, obviously those things are well known. Yeah. Like, um, I would say just find people, African people, African organizations that are doing interesting things that you find mm-hmm. interesting and, you know, plugging into one of those things that are there. You don't have to go and, you know, a lot of, a lot of these NGOs started, I've seen this in Kenya because so-and-so person, they went to Kenya on a safari, they saw, oh, look at all these poor people. That's the story, yeah. <laughs> they, they need our help, whatever. So they start these NGOs, it's like, no. Go, you know, figure out, go, you know, everyone has the internet now. You can easily connect with people and sure. see what they're doing. And if there and if there's something you're interested in, and this is what I always tell Misty, if there's something you're interested in that you you want to get involved in, you know, we can do it and we can build those meaningful intercultural connections. And you can learn about those places in a meaningful way. Um, sure. and sure. you know, development progress doesn't, you know, or whatever you call it, doesn't always have to be part of the picture to you can just sit in it and be a part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I just read this book, um, How to Do Nothing, if you've yeah. by a professor at Stanford named Jenny O'Dell. And, okay. uh, you know, I, the, the title is a little bit confusing, but it's sort of like you know, this sort of constant pushing for productivity sort of you sometimes miss the point. Yeah. And just by going there and being there and not having to say we should push this way or that way or create this thing or that, just by being there and taking part in whatever is happening and learning from the experience and observing it, you are actually doing something quite radical and um, quite influential and, and active. Uh, and so I guess that, that, that's what I would say. Um, you don't need to be a development actor. <laughs> I think that's super insightful. And I, I really hope that a lot of people can understand that, that it has to stop being an aid only mentality because right. there, are, there is stuff happening on the continent and people are movers, people are doing, people are building and creating. And so it doesn't just have to be, oh, we need to go there and give handouts and help. So right. great. I think that's great. Yeah, I mean, I think that's it. And I, I, think, I think there is generally, I think people are getting a sense of like, well, there's sort of this vibrant startup scene in some cities like yep. 
you know, like Nairobi, for example, has there's some there's some buzz there. Um, I think there's a whole separate issue in that: who's doing the startups, who's getting funded in startups, and how these biases play out in venture capital funding. Like these, I mean, that's a whole whole topic. <laughs> but um, you know, I think it, there was some controversy recently about how you know of all the people that got venture capital funding uh, from some particular company, big well, tech stars. Anyway, they were all white. Um, yeah, yeah, I heard about that. You heard of it, yeah. So, uh, and, and these biases exist in venture capital across the board, right? Uh, but it, I guess it's particularly salient when it's happening in Africa where most people are not. <laughs> so, um, anyway, but where was I going with this? It's just like it, uh, you know, just, just like being there, you know, I don't, you know, that's why one of the reasons I love the Peace Corps, people, people give the Peace Corps a hard time sometimes, but at the end of the day, like, um, the Peace Corps has like three, three missions, right? There's sort of three concurrent missions. So one is sort of more of the development outcome one. It's like work with these groups, have them advance in whatever they're trying to do, right? And then two of them are just sort of about diplomacy. It's like be, a cult, be an ambassador to the, the US when you're in your country. Yeah be an ambassador of your country when you're back in the US. And so those, those like, so 66% is like basically that diplomacy aspect and just sort of being there and connecting with people, I think is important and building this, you know, almost like empathy ambassadorship. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So I'm sort of rambling now, but. No, that, that was super yeah. And I guess my last, last question is I yeah. had the process of knowledge sharing so if there were like three books that you would recommend reading whether it's on African topics or just in general you know I'd love to hear them yeah I mean I, I just read that that the how to do nothing by Jenny O'Dell yeah. you know that's a really interesting one and, and in a way can can be can be uh transferred to sort of what um people think um how to how to approach Africa in some way. Sometimes the best thing to do is just sort of do nothing and just be an observer. Yeah. Um, two other books. Um, um, what else? Um, I read a just I mean just an incredible story recently of. Uh, mm -hmm. Indian refugee who came to um, the U.S. called *The Strength and What Remains*. Great book. Okay. Um, this guy, this Burundian refugee. I mean, you know, it is very inspirational. It's, it doesn't really too much about what we're talking about, but he is a Burundian refugee. He's in medical school. He runs away from essentially the war that breaks out in '94, um, and somehow makes it to New York. Uh, somehow manages, makes it past immigration and like sleeping in Central Park for a while. And then, you know, uh, basically becomes a medical doctor <laughs> in the U.S. He goes to Columbia and like Dartmouth. Anyway, it's an incredible, it's an incredible story. It's like super inspirational strength in what remains. Um, what else? One, an, another book. Um, 
Yeah, there's there's one that I read when I was in Peace Corps that I thought was like really informative. It was written by a journalist by the name of Richard Dowdy. Okay. Um, and it's what's it called? Um, it's just called I think it's called Africa. <laughs> Africa, and then there's like a subtitle like Fragile States or something. But I think yeah. what what he what he what he really dives into after you know, he's got a 20 year history just covering um, Africa for international newspaper publications. Yeah. It is that the U.S. or like the, the other other parts of the world don't really understand like what what they're getting wrong and how that you know and he sort of like really dives into the human aspect of a, of a lot of these stories and explains why people why things are the way they are and people have a hard time understanding it. Um, you know that the impact of colonialism and things like that. and I have a I mean I have a lot of thoughts on that too but. Um, and yeah, those are, I guess those are my, my three books. Yeah, that, no, those <laughs> sound interesting. I'm definitely, definitely going to read the last one. I think that just sounds like a book loaded with really useful information. So yeah, throwing that on my reading list for sure. Yeah, I do. You'll learn a lot about like all these different countries that he's, he's, that he's worked in. Um, <laughs> but read the Burundi one. I mean, that one's great. I mean, <laughs> Just an incredible story of like perseverance. Um, Sounds incredible. Yeah. I mean, this guy, he, so, you know, he, he ended up being pretty successful in the US and then he started medical health clinics back in Burundi. Yeah. You know, uh, you know, has had a huge impact on, you know, the lives of people through healthcare. So, yeah. Sounds cool. Sounds yeah. Cool. Yep. I like I like talking about this stuff. So thanks. No, <laughs> yeah. People to talk to about this stuff with. Yeah. Know, yeah. Very small number. So. Yeah. No. Yeah, one of the other things I I often feel and like try to tell students is that when you're, you know, when you're going to these places, you know. I think in the U.S. we are fed this narrative like we're the greatest country. We got everything figured out, I and mean, we all we all know that's not true. But I think it's you know there are, there are some really subtle ways and like you know, where you have to sort of like pull yourself away from that narrative and what and uh, and, and it manifests itself in your mind in other ways. But like when you go to uh, like an African country, for example, and you uh really just sort of like hang out in the community and like you notice that these this place has a lot of things that are quite envious like there are things that they have here that we don't have at home yep and yeah obviously there are things that we have at home that they don't have here but i think to really sit and reflect on what those things are and what is important to you i think is important i mean it's just like an important perspective you know, my, my community in the Peace Corps was like incredible in the, in the way that it was just like everybody knew each other in this community. Like people, you just like sit at home, people come by, hey, how's it going? They come, sit down, have coffee, have tea with you. Like, it's just this communal sense of living that I feel like is, is a, from a bygone era in the U.S. And, yeah. and, we, and, and we don't, um, I don't know, I, I'm worried that we're, with sort of the allure of capitalism <laughs> and globalization, like those things will slip away too. Mm -hmm. 
there's a, a great author, Wangari Mathai, who was a founder of the Greenbelt Movement in Kenya, which which talked about. She she's read some books. I don't know. I don't think I've read any of her her books, but um, you know, she talks about how you know we that you know in capitalism in the U.S. we just have you know this accumulation of things or stuff, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, and trying to break away from that. Um, so something they do in Africa, right? And, and we were sort of talking about this before. It's like, there are all these like very regular good things about Africa that people need. A lot. <laughs> yeah, a lot. A lot. And this is one of them. It's like, you know, there are things that they have there that we don't have. And this 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 communal living aspect, I mean, all, all the things tied into that, you know, we talk about this. Like, a lot of people are multilingual. How many yep. people can say that in the US, right? Very good point. Yeah. People are very much in touch with sort of the natural cycle of things because a lot of them grow their own food. So food is often fresh too. I mean, there's like, anyway. You just gotta get educated. You just gotta- <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> what, what'd you say? No, it's what it comes down to. You just gotta yeah. get educated. You gotta get educated, yeah. And that's why this program exists to help you make those connections. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, a lot of other schools are still, uh, you know, that's why I lo love being a part of Misty's because, you know, we have a platform where we can do a program like this and that might not exist in other places. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, ooh, th those were all the top of mind questions I had. Obviously, we could talk about these things for days, but those were yeah. all the questions that I had immediately. So thank yeah. you. Sure, Nacho. Yeah. Thanks for having me and talking to me about these things. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode of Africa Unveiled, the podcast. If you have any reports you'd want me to look over in the future, or even somebody you think I should interview, please email nwanacho, nwana at gmail.com. I'm looking forward to talking to you guys next time. Take care.